The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. The Chinese people now have a lot more investment alternatives. People themselves have all become more sophisticated in their investment choice as well. Home ownership we talked about is, is as high as 95%. They may no longer opt for buying real estate as you know one of the primary investment alternative. That was Kara Lee, head of Asia-Pacific Real Estate Investment Banking at Morgan Stanley, speaking about changes happening in China's property market. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Yaowen Chen, a columnist at Reuters Breaking Views, the global financial commentary arm of Reuters News, and I'm coming to you from London. For this week's episode, I sat down with Kara, a real estate industry veteran focusing on the greater China and APEC region, who has advised on many high-profile billion-dollar real estate transactions. We talked about peak demand in China's residential housing market, the struggles of the country's heavily indebted real estate developers, and what's emerging as new opportunities in other pockets of the sector. Give it a listen. Hi, Kara. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so glad to have you here because we are really at a very interesting point in time where there is a lot of things going on with the Chinese economy. And I think underlining that is what's changing in Chinese real estate. It's 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 such an important sector to the world's second largest economy, right? It's about one quarter of the GDP and it drives changes in like 40 different industries from construction to mining. And I know you've been in Hong Kong for more than 20 years, you know, you're looking at the industry, working closely with, with some of the industry players. You had a front seat view of what, what you know, how, how the golden era was like and how things have changed. So can you just give us some background of, uh, you know, China's real estate sector and, and what is special about the industry compared to elsewhere? Yeah, sure. Th- thanks for having me um, today um, to discuss with you about this um China real estate. Um, so I, I guess I would say that um, you know, first of all, the um, the, the sector itself uh, is very big. Uh, I think traditionally, when we talk about China real estate, we we are really you know focusing on uh, the residential market, i.e., commodity housing, right? Um, but China's housing reform started in the 80s and gained a lot of momentum in the, in the 1990s. Uh, but back then. Um, you know, uh, mo- there wasn't a commodity housing market yet in China per se. Um, that that particular um, segment really uh, gained a lot of momentum and became the dominant supply mode since the 2000s, right? A lot of factors contributed to the the, the rise of commodity housing, and um, you know, such things include demographics, um, you know, income growth. Uh, and urbanization, right? Those are all major factors. Um, but by 20, by the 2020s, right, the, the, the Chinese real estate, i.e. commodity housing, residential market already accounts for, I think you said, a quarter of the GDP, right? I think the, the range is somewhere between 20 to 30%, depending on how you classify real estate and its um, uh, upstream yeah, and downstream. Yeah, because it trickles through to so many industries. Correct, correct. But um, the size of that, uh, to just to give you um, a few figures for people to comprehend, right? Total residential market size in China in 2021 is more than uh, 100 trillion US dollars, right? Compared to 
uh, about 80 trillion in the US. Uh, although on a per capita basis, uh, it's only about you know, 75,000 uh, versus 250,000 because obviously the housing prices in the US are a lot higher than in China. Um, in terms of uh, contract sales, the volume is, is you know, uh, astronomical, right? Annual sales in China of residential commodity housing uh, is around, um, I think in 2021, 1.5 billion square meters, right? And the average price is about 10,000 RMB per square meter. So we're talking about 15 trillion RMB of annual sales. Um, that's around seven times that in the US. So the market obviously is, is of an extremely large scale. Um, so that's why I think people are in general uh, very interested in the market and are constantly amazed as the, at the scale and the growth speed. Um, However, and I think the, I think the Chinese also I think the Chinese are very obsessed about owning real estate, right? Compared to other markets, I think like seventy percent of the wealth by the Chinese are stored in real estate, compared to maybe you know much lower levels um, in seen in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, and despite very very high home ownership, I think it's around it's above ninety percent for the Chinese. Uh, yes, you're right. I mean, uh, in the end, all uh, account for the very high urban home ownership percentage, which is actually more than 95% versus, say, in the U.S. of around 65%. Um, that has a lot to do with the fact that in China, um, you know, there there is limited amount of uh, alternative investment avenues. So commodity housing is not only for consumption purpose, but also for to a large extent for investment purposes as well. That's why the market does exhibit different characteristics from those in the in in the US and, and other developed countries. Yeah, for one, I think there's a lack of maybe the, the very big boom and bust, that kind of scenario. I feel like a lot of people haven't really experienced a proper downturn. They've just always seen housing prices going up in the you know last 20 years. Yeah, look, the, 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 the price and volume growth um, has been substantial, but we're talking about maybe in the last five to six year, CAGR of around 10 to 15%. Uh, actually, you know, the numbers uh, that we're seeing is that from say 2015 to 2021, the, the absolute price growth in China's um, residential uh, properties uh, on a national average is around 70%. Whereas in the U.S. it's actually 80%. Obviously, the pace of growth was faster in the earlier years than in the later years versus the U.S., which is the reverse. But I think people's general perception that there was a um, huge amount of price bubble, um, you know, in China, residential market is not necessarily correct. It's just that the absolute scale of the market had grown quite substantially. I guess that's also because uh, in the in the last five to six years, President Xi Jinping has been uh, advocating for this idea that houses are for living in or for speculation. He doesn't want, you know, a, a big violent rise in prices uh, and then the market get caught by surprise and there's more financial risk. So so there there is this gradual effort to deflate uh, the, the the housing market so that it's not so much of a a bubble anymore. 
yes, uh, you're right. The government um, has been um, implementing, uh, you know, continued tightening housing measures, right? In, a re in recent years, the, the, there's been a considerable amount of growth in, in the use of leverage within the Chinese real estate uh, sector, in particular um, by the, by the develop, real estate developers. Now, now in China, actually, uh, the worry about so-called high debt is not really on the, on the consumers because the consumers only in, within China, only around 40% of the house buyers, they actually use mortgages to, to purchase um, housing. Um, so therefore, the mortgage loans actually as a percentage of, you know, all the bank loans is only less than 20% versus the U.S., which is close to 70%. And in China, um, on housing mortgages, um, the equity down payment is relatively high, somewhere between 20 to 25 to 30%. And, and you know, second, second homes, um, they, the uh, down payment is even, even higher. Whereas in the U.S., as we all know, um, the down payment for for purchase any real estate is probably closer to 10%. So therefore, the the um, the the household debt relating to housing is actually uh, manageable. But most of the debt, a lot more debt, are, are concentrated um, in the developer sector, and that number actually reached pretty uh, dangerous level. You know, by the 2020, I I think some 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 numbers that we've seen is by 2020 year end, right? The total debt among developers are have reached around you know more than 80 trillion RMB, right? So that's why the government has been gradually trying to tighten housing market uh, with the principal aim or prior priority objective of of um, you know reducing leverage until they started implementing probably the most stringent. Um, the leverage policy, which is the, the famous three red lines. And that is what ultimately triggered, you know, the developers liquidity crunch because their access to financing had been severely curtailed uh, by that three line, three red lines policy. So yeah, it's then, basically a, an effort to uh, restrain the amount of debt that those developers could raise, right? Because China also is very special in the sense that there's this uh, pre-sell model that's very popular where I think developers only putting very small amount of money to 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 buy and develop the land and then they can start selling them to the home buyers even when a lot of the apartments are not completed which is quite different and unique to the to the Chinese market and that's that's why I think developers are able to leverage their land reserve and from you know getting getting the loans from the banks to to build um, a lot more inventory and sell them uh, even before they're putting all the capital to build them. Do, do you think that that is why the the sector is so leveraged and uh, you know has been a bit more uh, I guess a bit reckless in the past two decades? Well, yes and no. Uh, the reason why I say that is because actually most in most market. Um, developers can pre-sell. They can sell um, what they what they intend to sell before they actually build it. That's not um, uh, exceptional in China. What is, however, is that in China, as a as a purchaser, you actually have to pay for it all before you actually get deliver the the unit 
right, the, or the property. Um, in other countries, if I were to buy something on the plan, uh, I would pay a 10% um, deposit, and then I would pay the rest of the 90% when I actually get the delivery of the property. In China, I actually pay all of them upfront. And that is because in China, a developer cannot fund land purchase uh, with debt. They can only fund land purchase with equity, with their own equity. So therefore, there is no other um, way for a land, for a developer, for a housing developer to actually grow organically unless they, you know, kind of use, as what you said, so, you know, other source of um, funding channel, and, and one of which could be the pre-sale um, proceeds from consumers buying their, you know, units for sale. Another way to fund that land purchase, those land purchase, is in the form of borrowing um, U.S. dollar offshore in the form of issuing bonds and borrowing loans and using those offshore debt injecting back into um, China as um, equity to fund a project company and using those, that money to purchase the land and on top of which then they would borrow construction loans to then construct the, the project for sale. So it is a very different type of funding model compared to say uh, other countries, but the I wouldn't say the the, the, the pre-sale model itself, uh, you know, triggered right. the, the, the use of additional leverage. It's actually a lot of different factors. Right. But the, the funding uh, aspect of things you mentioned is really interesting because I, I guess that's why the, the crackdown, you know, ever since the three red lines has been so effective because it really squeezed on the developers' founding channels. Um, we've seen bound defaults. We've seen you know, a lot of credit events happening and and the, the whole, you know, construction has slowed. Uh, confidence in real estate has really taken a hit, I think, for ordinary Chinese people uh, who might want to speculate and buy more properties, uh, betting on price increases. So I think in, ever since 2021, we've seen some real distress, right? And and for a, a period of time, I think it was so effective uh, late last year, there, there was this reversing attitude by the Chinese government where I think they realized that, oh, maybe we have gone too harsh on the sector and they decided to have some easing measures to support the real estate developers. They have relaxed a lot of the purchase curbs, especially in the small cities for uh, home buyers, especially the first time home buyers. Um, but but I th I feel like that kind of stabilization effect has kind of faded uh, since the start of this year, and now there there's renewed concern you know about what's what's going on in the sector. I know you've been traveling in China and you 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 know you know what is uh, you've seen the most updated development I guess. So can you share with us uh, what you are seeing right now? What what has changed since then? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, look, now I think we're faced uh, with a, a period of stagnation, if you like. You know, there, there's a real divergence in the in the developer space. Um, you know, a lot of them have defaulted on their on their offshore debt, um, which would have triggered cross default on all their debt stack stack. They're doing, you know, painful re debt restructuring. Um, and in the meantime, onshore, they're focused on um, you know, 
delivering the, 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 the units that they have already sold. They, they therefore need to make sure that they complete those and, um, and deliver to the, to, the, to the buyers, which is also uh, very much the, government, uh, the government's focus, right? Um, so, uh, so there, that, that's why the the government local, uh, both central government and local, they are, um, you know, they continue to to want to support most developers in that aspect. Um, they have uh, implemented, you know, uh, onshore debt rollover strategies. They have directed banks to support, you know, high quality developers. Um, they have also uh, issued new policies to allow, you know, other fundraising um, channels. Such as you know share issuance you know uh, for for some of the high quality developers. How, uh, most of the beneficiaries are the SOEs. I think uh, there will be a period of um, consolidation like this for for a while. Um, volume uh, will probably stabilize uh, soon. Uh, I think 2022 the volume have already come down substantially from. Uh, 15 trillion uh, renminbi in sale to about 11 trillion, uh, where that will ultimately stabilize to, let's say this year and next couple of years, we don't know, but they, there, there's obviously going to be some amount, some amount of um, slowdown in the in the amount in the housing market, both in terms of construction, new start, as well as um, sales. However, I, I think I don't think because of the reasons I described earlier, which is in terms of the you know, mortgage loan situation. I don't think there will be a you know a a price crash or uh, NPL problem uh, in the banking system because uh, caused by mortgage loans, etc. Uh, there will be a new normal where you know prices and volume both stabilizes, and and you know the market will become more mature, uh, and um, which I think is a good thing for everybody. You you mentioned that you know there there are all these measures to support the higher quality developers. Um, but at the same time that we've seen sales crashing down, and I think housing construction is is down like 20 percent from a year earlier. Property investment has slowed. Um, but at the same time, we don't seem to see a lot of top down concern, right? Like we we're not expecting massive stimulus coming from the government. Uh, to the extent of maybe in the last cycle when there was, you know, cash incentives to the lower tier city home buyers in the whole urban renewal program. And, and I think that the policymakers are just not making that kind of choices anymore. What do you think are is, is, is the possible thinking behind that? I think the government's um, objective is to stabilize the market. And so a period of you know, consolidation and slower growth um, in in this sector uh, is not necessarily uh, a bad thing. I don't think they will want to um, open the tap again to to you know to fuel a credit enhanced uh, growth strategy again. Um, clearly, um, there is still housing need in China. There will be always be upgrade housing required. Um, and the current amount of um, development, um, start and completion in the government's eyes probably are, will be sufficient to, to, to fill those needs. Uh, whether you know, they, they will uh, implement um, any further stimulus and to what extent, 
remains to be seen. I think they always have a lot of tools at their disposal to fine tune the policy, um, but uh, they have also reiterated, you know, housing is for, for living, not for speculation um, in multiple addresses. Um, therefore, I think they view stability um, as a priority, uh, which is manifested in their focus on the developers um, successfully de delivering all the units that they've sold, as well as no major price volatility, um, which again, I think should be the case um, due to the analysis I gave earlier. So a lot of people appears to be comparing, you know, what, what China is experiencing with what happened to the Japanese economy, the Japanese real estate long time ago. But like you said, it seems like the price stability is something that is quite different from when the Japanese real estate really took a hit. Um, and, and why is that? Is that because of the the various administrative controls on price? Um, yeah, I mean, the Japan housing market crash, um, I, I assume you're talking about the um, late 1980s to early right. 1990s period, right? So the, that, I mean, that period, um, you know, you saw asset price um, experiencing rapid acceleration, right? Not only in terms of uh, property uh, prices, but also stock market performances. Um, I, I think the primary reason for, for that period, um, you know, for, for those um, scenarios was because of ultra loose monetary policy and fast credit expansion, right? So um, there was a huge amount of um, uh, money being pumped into the system, and therefore uh, asset prices, um, uh, you know, accelerated rapidly. But you know, it, it became to, it got to a point where it no longer substanti substantiate the fundamental. So the bubble burst. And after the bubble bursted, you know, the economy declined and continued for more than a decade. Um, there was huge amount of NPL accumulation as a result. I, I think what it different, how it's different from China is that, uh, again, mortgage loan as a percentage of GDP is only around 40%, which is the lowest among all the developed countries. So uh, I, I don't think that, um, um, you know, there will be any uh, or a huge uh, scale of for sale scenario, which will cause price to crash. Uh, and, you know, the, the amount of equity cushion for mortgages is still quite comfortable. So I don't think there will be any uh, major NPL issues associated with residential mortgages either. So therefore, I think prices um, should probably maintain rather stable. There will be volume corrections, um, consolidations, but I, I think there, there shouldn't be uh, major price corrections unless obviously you know the overall economy uh, continue to deteriorate much in a much worse fashion, which again I don't think so. But do you feel like the Chinese, ordinary Chinese people, their uh, tendency to to buy more homes, that kind of that kind of trend is going to change uh, as a result as well? I, I think the the Chinese people now have a lot more uh, investment alternatives. Um, the the Chinese financial market has. Uh, mature substantially since uh, the 1990s. Um, you know the, um, the the 
people themselves have all become more sophisticated in their investment choice as well. Um, and home ownership we talked about is, is as high as 95%. I think therefore um, they may no longer opt for buying real estate as you know, one of the primary uh, investment uh, alternative. Um, they probably will going forward view it more as a um, you know, if they, they if there is substantial need for housing, it would mostly for upgrade purposes. And obviously, urbanization will continue to play uh, a, a, a key factor as well. Right. So, so it sounds like China is very different from a lot of other countries in its own, uh, I guess, this stagnating uh, period of time. And what do you think the new normal will look like for both the developers and for the real estate sector as a whole? Um, I, I think we talked about it earlier. I think the new normal um, will probably be a, you know, lower annual sales figure. Uh, if 21, we're, we're talking about 15 trillion RMB of sales, uh, query the, the stabilizing, the, the sort of the um, equilibrium is somewhere perhaps between around 10 trillion. We don't know, right? We're, we don't have a crystal ball, but uh, that feels like, um, it, you know, that's where the market is heading. So some of the weaker developers probably will be, will gradually phase out. Um, the, the, the bigger developers and the stronger ones with higher, uh, ba uh, higher uh, uh, um, balance sheet um, quality will be able to uh, consolidate the market uh, further. Um, and we will get to a point where, um, you know, the, the market is, is relatively stable and there will be no more headlines, hopefully, um, like, like what, what you have been seeing in the last two years. But I, I think, look, there, there will be um, uh, economic growth uh, diversifying away from residential real estate, right? Um, you know, where we have been um, seeing a lot of activities happening um, is really in the uh, commercial real estate and the alternative real estate sectors in China. I, I think you asked me earlier, you know, I've been traveling China, what's happening there now? There's a lot of things happening and we are spending a lot more time on the alternative real estate sectors, um, uh, you know, which is actually um, experiencing a lot of uh, growth and activities. Uh, Can you explain a little be, bit what is the alternative real estate? Sure. Um, by that, I mean, you know, things like retail properties, logistics, uh, warehousing, um, cold storage, multifamily rental apartments, uh, you know, other type of uh, specialty industrial properties such as um, factories, warehouse, uh, uh, workshops, um, as well as um, um, data centers, right? So all of these, again, this should not be a surprise um, to, you know, to a lot of uh, uh, market practitioners and, and, and investors out there, uh, even in um, the US and Europe, all the relatively developed markets, um, these type of sectors account for uh, a lot more uh, activities uh, among the pra market practitioners. Um, uh, to give you some figures, um, in China, for example, in you know uh, 2021, again, 
the amount of uh, uh, industrial property transaction volume had reached, um, you know, uh, almost uh, 18 billion uh, US dollars, right? Um, so um, it is a significant market. Uh, the logistics, um, grade A logistics infrastructure in China had been growing uh, in the last five years at around, you know, uh, just under 20% CAGR in terms of uh, uh, area, in terms of GFA, right? So by uh, 22, China already has uh, more than 100 million square meters of uh, grade A modern logistics warehouses. Although on a per capita basis, that is still just about, you know, uh, 0.9. Uh, square meters, which is a quarter of that of the U.S. and Japan, right? So there's still ample room to grow. And that is where we're spending uh, a lot of, of our time. Um, and with the growth of um, uh, and the development of CREIT, um, which is a very exciting new um, development in the, in the Chinese uh, real estate market. This is a real equity securitization product. Um, and it will pull, uh, it, it will help to to inject a lot more equity into um, uh, infrastructure real estate, into retail real estate, and fuel the growth and development in those sectors. And you know, at my team, for example, uh, as early as 2016, we already started to transition uh, uh, to uh, focus on alternative real estate sectors. Um, and um, you know we 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 have pivoted from away from uh, residential developers as our only you know client source, but also started to 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 service a lot Diversify. more. yeah. Correct, correct. And, and right, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes, we we do see tremendous tremendous uh, amount of growth in in those sectors. Yeah, that that's probably something we can discuss for another whole episode because you know there is a lot of things going on in the commercial real estate uh, space as well. Um, uh, but that that is all very interesting, Kara. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to have you back for another one some other time. Thanks very much for having me. Anytime. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Xiang in Hong Kong. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Also check out our sister podcast, The Views Room, and check us out at breakingviews.com. And on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.